0: Welcome, friends, to the Recovering Reality Podcast. We are excited that you have joined us on our journey of helping individuals and communities step into a healthier place of recovery. If you're interested in recovery coaching at all, you can reach out to us directly. We can set up a consultation, and you can jump over to the website at www.recoveringreality.com for more free resources to help you Live out the healthiest and most sustainable recovery possible. Enjoy the podcast, guys. I'm excited to to be here and share some things this morning. I, I appreciated the uh, presentation this morning. That stuff fascinates me, but I'm I don't know I don't know. If, she's smarter than me that's for sure Um, we're gonna we're gonna have some we're gonna see where this goes we're gonna have some some fun I was excited to come and speak and share a little bit about my story and about prevention and it's a it's a really big uh, value of mine to be relational and I have a really big value as well to see communities Come to the table. I believe that the issues that are going on with addiction, uh, communities are really going to need to step up and take responsibility, whether or not they cause the problem or not, and be a voice of hope in in their community. Um, It's just, it seems to be getting worse. It seems to be getting worse, or staying the same at the least, and uh, we have the power to do something about it. So um, thank you, Frank and and Jody and various other people I know in the room. And I know there's a lot of people in the room that do a lot of uh, awesome stuff. And I get to be a little piece to the puzzle and help out. I am very open about my story. Um, I did go through hell. I'm gonna share a little bit about it. I'm not from here, but I I came out and spoke at a conference about seven years ago here in Carrollton. (laughs) And stayed friends with a lot of people. And uh, my wife and I knew we were moving out of San Diego and we ended up in Carrollton. We moved from a city of over a million to a village. (laughs) But we love it. We love it here. People ask me all the time, like, why would you do that? And I just tell them, go live in San Diego for a little bit and see the cost of it and then let's talk and then let's have a conversation about it. So, Since being here, um, it's been a lot of fun. One of the reasons that I came here was because Ohio is pretty much ground zero. Ohio, West Virginia is pretty much ground zero for uh, definitely the worst drug problem America has ever seen. I think you could go a step past it, though, and say the worst drug problem the world has ever seen. Uh, You could debate that, but I think it's a safe argument to begin to make. Uh, The interesting thing, though, is that alcohol actually kills way more people a year than even the opioid epidemic is killing right now. Most people don't know that. It's well over 100,000 people a year die from freak accidents. Um, There's a word for it, overdosing on alcohol. It's alcohol poisoning, but it's it's whatever the word is, asphyxiation or whatever it is. But um, way more people are dying from that. And I was, I was about as alcoholic as they get. And it started at a young age. I want to share some of my story um, and get into... Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, let, me, let me ask this question real quick. So just so I have a little bit of an idea, like... Uh, name some of the occupations in the room. Because I know there's a lot. I know some of you. Uh, how, let me, how many pastors are in the room? Or people in ministry? Okay. How many counselors therapists something like that okay uh is there is there any teachers in here people who work in the schools or okay couple how about anything else any other occupations i didn't I'm so a peer recovery supporter you said that proudly i love it okay so we're a room full of people who have uh, influence and access to a lot of people in the community so that's awesome Um, i was born in california grew up in the bay area moved to the state of utah when i was 10 or 11. wasn't really by choice when you're 10 or 11 you go where your family goes my family is all uh very mormon I am not. They they are. But you know, people ask me about Utah, and one of the first questions they typically ask is something about the Mormon religion. And it's not a stereotype. Pretty much everyone in Utah is Mormon. It's it's true. <laughs> um, I we you know she's talking about a lot of this physiological stuff. Um, and when you're a kid, you just you, you don't know that you don't know. It's like you don't it's not like a kid has all of that information stockpiled in the back of their brain as they're going into situations and they're like, oh, wait a minute, my serotonin levels and the sleep I got last night. And uh, they have no, they're they're kids. They have no idea. And, and oftentimes they stumble into situations where it's, it's almost like sometimes they're not even doing anything wrong. They're just in the spot at the wrong time or the right time or whatever. And it's just there. Um, I was raised in a I mean in a good home there was no alcohol or drugs in my home it didn't really I never saw it I was never around it anything like that Um, but is anyone in this room obviously knows it's there's nowhere it's not it doesn't matter where you are I was in they called the county that I lived in Happy Valley was not so happy that's what they called it though Utah County because well everyone there is Mormon everything's probably perfect right not the case um, when I moved uh, instantly I moved and so it's different friends and That creates like uh, internal friction or questions or, or whatever this starts coming up in kids and they don't really know They're just trying to piece the world together and survive and they got all these internal things going on and um, I don't, I, <laughs> I'm not throwing my parents under the bus, okay, but none of you know them so <laughs> that helps um but my parents did a good job there were six of us yes typical mormon family three sisters and two brothers and they just didn't have all the time they're trying to provide they're trying to we were all athletic i was very good athlete it was pretty natural Uh, they're all taking us to my sisters to soccer or softball or basketball me to football and baseball and we're just busy as someone mentioned earlier just kids are so busy And there just wasn't all of the time in the world for them to sit down and connect relationally with me, right? Um, I'm really, really big on relationship and I already mentioned that and I'll I'll get into some more of it, but kids are gonna get the answers to their questions somewhere, period. They're They're gonna seek out answers, whether they even know they're doing it or not almost. They're gonna go for answers about sex, drugs, alcohol, acceptance, the future, beliefs. They're they're gonna ask eventually, and when that stays bottled up inside, I mean. So I got a, a son. He he turns two in November, um, and a son who is turned turned three in July. He just started preschool like a couple of days ago. Um, kids are different so this morning i'm i'm reading i I prepared for my message this morning by by reading disney books (laughs) um and i and i spend my time playing dinosaurs and building castles and i understand we're talking about teenagers but from from the beginning i want my kids to know that yeah there's there's consequences for your actions period like you can't go through life like issue one came about recently some of you probably remember that I had the privilege as with other people in this room of speaking at, at a press conference in Tuscarawas County being being against issue one with uh, against right yeah, yeah against, <laughs> against issue one because my journey having to face consequences is one of the most beneficial things possible on that journey but punishment and just nothing but consequences, that's not going to bring about the results we're looking for either. But you got to know there's consequences for your actions, but at the same time, how how are we walking people into a change? And I, I spend most of my time on the, on the recovery end of things, so you might hear some of that coming through, but I'll be very intentional about staying prevention, okay? <laughs> um, my parents, they, they did a really, they did a, a great job and... Um, somebody had mentioned earlier too, you know, it's addiction is just as bad in big, nice, expensive homes as it is in poverty. Uh, Just because someone's got a nice car and a nice job doesn't make them exempt from some of the stuff that starts coming up by any, any stretch. And we know probably more about that now than ever with what's going on in our country. But me having moved, I had moved to a different state, totally different climate, completely different climate. And it was a, uh, I was trying to make friends um, and I had this idea that the the cool kids were the ones that partied, as is an illusion with many teenagers, they want to fit in with the cool crowd, right? So I did that um, and jumped into environments and groups of people where I, I really had no idea what I was getting myself into, none whatsoever, but the internal questions, friction, uh, give it a lot of different names. Okay. Um, spiritual reality, unseen reality that manifests in ways we see. Okay. Was, uh, turmoil inside of me. Uh, I didn't have people to, to, to talk to, or I would talk to them. And it was just kind of like, well, you know, man up, (laughs) you can do it. You know, this is the way we were raised um, as soon as I had a taste of the drugs or the alcohol, immediately it was like, oh, that storm quiet, that storm that's going on in there quieted a little bit. That's that's kind of nice, you know? It's kind of nice not have that chaos going on within. And immediately I'm going somewhere else for answers to questions where I wasn't getting the answers at home. Again, not by huge fault of my parents they were doing a lot to make sure things were going right for us but I emphasize that beginning for a reason because you know now I spend so much time now well, all my time working with people coming out of addiction and it's the relational connection that gets them out of it it's the relational connection of processing the stuff that's going on internally it's the relational connection of establishing a trust where now they're actually able to tell you the stuff they don't want to talk to anybody about and they got to get it out and now all of a sudden they're able to talk to you and now all of a sudden all that tension turmoil within calms down a little bit but without the drugs and alcohol so they're finding a coping skill that works that actually works instead of causes destruction it's the exact same thing on the prevention end if you think about it so there's so my kids having Questions are, they're, you know, they're the kids right now. Their, their questions are, you know, what show they want to watch on YouTube or something like I, I understand that. But I I don't ever want my kids to have to go to the world for answers to the tough questions and the stuff that's going on. Do I have every perfect answer to every single question? No, but I do have the perfect capability of establishing relationship with them so that if anything, when anything pops up in their life, they completely trust me to come to me and talk about that stuff and get some peace to the storm that's going on inside of them. You guys tracking with me? So um, it was instant chaos in my life. (laughs) Uh, Some people, when it comes to to drinking, they... um, well, before I, let me pump the brakes real quick. Let me, um, I'm just gonna read a couple of statistics real quick, okay? We all love that, right? Don't we all? And all, all statistical studies are 100% correct. We all know that, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> especially if they're on the internet, especially. <laughs> but this actually is a pretty reliable source. So I, my guess would be these are fairly accurate ballpark figures, okay? Um, this is statistics on underage drinking. Uh, approximately 5,000 people die to alcohol-related deaths every day. So that's not underage specifically, but that's the amount. Um, 100. This is from 2017. The study was done. 189,000 emergency room visits in 2010 involving alcohol use in people under the age of 21. of seniors in high school engage in binge drinking. Not drinking, binge drinking. That's one in three. 14 is the average age that people first try alcohol. Mine was like 13 or 14. And 11% of all alcohol in the US is consumed by people aged 12 to 20. It's extremely accessible. Um, It is a drug. Some people, I've, I've talked with more than a few people that I say no, it's not a drug. And then I, I say, well, let's just, well, so if it's not, then a definition of the word drug needs to be thrown out there. And this is the definition from the Oxford Dictionary. A medicine or other substance which has psychological effect when ingested or otherwise introduced into the body. I think alcohol would qualify as a drug. Immediately, you know, for me, the chaos that was going on internally um you you find you find something that calms it you find what you think is a solution and immediately it's like i just need more of that i just need more of the solution because a little bit calmed it then i mean a lot should really calm it right Mm -hmm. so i'm going to tell just a couple of stories all right because this is stuff that uh mind you this is a good home uh none of it was in my house um wasn't introduced to it in any way, shape or form like that. Um, and the, I was by the age of 15. Um, I believe I had already been arrested at least once and my friends and I, uh, my parents went out of town. Um, my, my parent, my mom and dad and my brother, my two brothers and like one or, and so almost everyone was out of town except for one of my sisters. And then, uh, a uh, Friend of the family that was there to to watch us right but in my mind as a 15 year old who's already drinking and doing drugs My parents are out of the country for 10 days clearly anything. I do has no consequences, right? <laughs> That's where my thinking was at. <clears throat> so one of the days we decided to uh, Start drinking uh, we left school about noon and we decided to start drinking and we just started stealing alcohol from all the stores It's extremely accessible. It's everywhere if they don't, if they don't even need to do that most of the time, they could just get it from, people just get it from their parents' liquor cabinet or something, or the wine that's in the house. <coughs> and I'm not 100% against that either. My my wife drinks wine; she has like a glass one night a week or something. And some people can do that; I can't. So we we started in on that, um, continued through dinner, if we even ate dinner and uh, it continued into the late hours of the night and then into the early hours of the morning. And we just kept going to grocery stores, uh, gas stations, and at two or three in the morning, my friend and I had this brilliant idea in our state of mind that we were just gonna go for one last run and steal some more alcohol because we needed some for the morning. And we went to the same, this was the third time we were going back to the same grocery store, right? I'm glad some of you are laughing. I, I was like, when I think about telling this story, I was like, is that gonna be too heavy? I, I'm glad some people are laughing because it's really funny to me now. Um, so in our, our geniusness, it gets, it gets better. Don't, don't worry, it gets better. So we didn't have a car though. So he's, he's like, well, we can get one of those easy. So he just took the keys from my friend's pocket who was passed out and happened to be his mom's minivan. So we go back to the third store in probably three or four hours, our third time back to steal alcohol and he he pulls up in front of the grocery store he puts the car in park and he tells me all right man you're driving and he hops out of the car now interesting part of this story i'd never driven a car in my entire life not in a parking lot not nothing i'd never been behind a steering wheel in my entire life and he says you're driving so of course that's a good idea in the moment right so i hop behind the dri- i hop behind the wheel he runs in he comes out with four cases of, of alcohol and he opens the sliding door and he throws them all in and he's screaming at me to floor it because the, the owner, the, the manager is chasing him out of the store. I have no option but to floor it, right? I did have, I did have an option, of course, but um, so I floor it and we shoot out over the median. And we, we pull up here. Uh, mind you, another thing we hadn't fully processed is this is the busiest intersection in the entire city. A city of like, uh, there's probably like 80,000 people with surrounding cities. The, the county has about half a million. So it's just suburbia, all this, you know, connected. Um, and kitty corner from the grocery store is the police station. <laughs> so, again, things we had not thought through. So I pull out, um, first time ever driving a car in my life on ten hours into a drinking binge or, or longer, and I pull out and floor it down the little side street there, conveniently right when a cop was pulling out of the police station at two o'clock in the morning. He flips on his lights, flips around, and all of a sudden in ten seconds, the first time ever driving a car I'm in a high speed chase. <laughs> I'm flooring it down back streets, now adrenaline's pumping, I'm less drunk, and I have some I'm somewhat coherent. And I'm flooring it down back streets and I'm recognizing some of the streets and we're heading down one and he's yelling at me to stop and he stops and he jumps out of the car and I drive like 10 more feet hit the brakes and jump out don't put it in park it just rolls into a pole I start hopping fences I could continue the story because it doesn't end there but I won't but we got away we ended up getting away not exactly because we got we had to go back and deal with it but we didn't get caught in the moment Okay, but um, we did have to go back and deal with a lot of things. But I, I, I tell stories like that because you're talking about a kid who was in a good family by all outside perspective. In, um, I was the star of like every football and baseball team I was on. I had I had no reason to be engaged in any of that behavior at all, none whatsoever, right? But something something changes when your escape and your coping skills, your, your life skills, your mechanisms as to how you calm down and whatnot, is something that completely alters all that fancy stuff she was talking about earlier, all the big name stuff. I would like to say that, well, obviously somebody who had that experience at 15 would be like, this clearly isn't working, I should stop. It was not the case. That continued on for 11 more years. I watched over 30 of my friends die. Um, Utah at that time was right when the pharmaceutical companies unleashed hell on America for lack of a better way to put it. And uh, Utah was in like the top five worst states for overdoses in the country for five straight years. And that was like right as I graduated high school and into 18, 19, 20. And I just watched my friends drop right and left. Um, it just continued on. I, I found myself just uh, years later after two inpatient rehabs and an outpatient rehab and who knows how many arrests and all that stuff. At the age of 26, I was drinking myself to death in a little apartment and decided I just couldn't, I can't do this anymore. So there's something out there. I had seen change in my friends. Um, there's something out there that's working for them, if it's working for them, it can work for me. I saw people doing 12 steps and coming into relationship with God and these things. And so I said, all right, well, I'm going to give it one real try. And I committed to doing that. Went to a last treatment center, had one more little episode, but uh, April, earlier, April of this year, I I celebrated a decade, over a decade now of of recovery. So... It always feels weird when people clap for me. Okay. <laughs> now, I want to, let me, let me read this, okay? This is a quote, uh, um, a couple of things I want to um, mention, and then I'll get into a few more things, which, which, by the way, what time am I supposed to be done and then do? What time are you going to be done? I don't know. <laughs> don't give me an open-ended ending. I'll, I'll keep track of it. This this is a DJ, all right? His name's Calvin Harris. I don't know if anyone here has heard of Calvin Harris. Anyone here heard of Calvin Harris? Some of the younger people are raising. <laughs> he, so he's he's the most famous DJ in the world, the richest and most famous DJ in the whole world, okay? He said, I stopped drinking because it was making me ill. It was affecting my brain in the worst way. I don't know if he considers himself to be in recovery. Now, he's still young. I doubt he's uh, he's probably mid-30s max, I would say, somewhere around there. Um, I don't know if he says he's in recovery or not I, I don't know but you know it was making it, it was affecting him internally so much that he knew this is going this is not helping me in any way shape or form and he doesn't drink it at all anymore <clears throat> this is uh, this is also the the origin of the word alcohol I found this fascinating I wrote this whole thing on it recently and put it on my my website but the word alcohol and I and I as far as I saw I studied this to make sure this wasn't somebody's just cool sounding opinion this is all accurate okay alcohol comes from the Arabic word al which means body eating spirit which is why we still call liquor spirits and the word ghoul we get like ghouls goons goblins that word ghoul is comes from that word too, al body eating spirit all right now I have a pharmacist here I'm painting this picture for a reason, because I think some of what we need to do is take a different look at alcohol. All right. It is a drug. All right. Now, my wife can have a glass of wine once a week. She's fine. OK, people will say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But will, will Jesus drank wine like that mural that's hanging up right there. Yeah, he sure did. But he wasn't guzzling it all the time all day in mass quantities either. <laughs> I have a friend who's a pharmacist right here in town, Neil Stoneman. You guys know Neil? anybody here a few people do good man he's been studying the effects of drugs on the body um, all sorts of all all kinds of drugs everything that's out there today and he said from my from all the research that I'm doing and the studying that I'm doing alcohol has the worst effect internally on your body it just literally starts eating your body alive now is one beer sitting down watching the game and having one beer gonna do that no and that's not the point i'm making okay but the effects that it has on you internally is it literally begins to eat your organs away your your kidney your kidney your liver your heart it you know that's why people they start turning yellow that's why people it it eats you alive from the inside out when you're drinking alcoholically that is the severity of what alcohol does to you right and I had no idea at that age. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing or what I was getting into. You just like don't know that you don't know right, like I said earlier and I remember i would i got I got forced to go to um the probation classes and whatnot and it was it was a lot of scare tactics, like she said they that, that don't work. <laughs> it was a lot of that it was a lot of um fear punishment and People need to know there's consequences for their actions. I get it. But I, it it never, it never clicked to the point of people saying like, hey, let's sit down and talk and tell me what's going on. Because a kid that's in that kind of spot, you know, the counselors in the room or pastors or people will know uh, someone that's in that spot. The first time you sit down to talk to them, they're probably not just going to spill their whole life story and be honest with you. It's not going to happen, Okay. But you establish a little bit of relationship, show them you care, talk with them a little more, spend a little bit more time with them. All of a the sudden, they're telling you things they've never told anyone in their entire life. They're telling you things that happened to them when they were young that nobody knows about. They're talking to you about things that after they say it, they're like, I can't believe I'm telling you all this. Like, why am I even telling you all this? Because the relational connection has happened. And I just, I, I never, nobody taught me that when I was young. I wholeheartedly believe this okay let me see if i can air out all my my thinking on this so i wholeheartedly believe that if elementary schools middle schools high schools would get rid of some classes that maybe they just don't need without mentioning any get rid of them and take the time to be extremely thorough and intentional with kids to teach them how to process their emotions to teach them how to sit down and talk to another child that they disagree with in a civil way to spend time talking to them and listening to what's really going on in their life and teaching them how to actually deal with real life that's going on inside of them in a healthy way where they can be honest and own it and be mature and responsible in it i truthfully believe this okay i understand this is not the opinion of your sponsors okay it's my opinion i believe that our addiction statistics would go would to eradicate them? No, but I believe they would drop significantly if we would begin to teach young, young kids how to talk about those things that are difficult. Me be the one that brings it up to my child and not just pretend that it doesn't exist in the world because they're going to see it. There's no way around it. They're going to be exposed to alcohol. They're going to be exposed to drugs, pornography, sex, cigarettes, fill in the blank. It is going there's no way to shield someone completely from all that. It's not possible in this world. Okay. Can we, can we stay out of certain environments and pick our friends? Absolutely, all of that, okay? But at some point, you're going to come into exposure to that. And I want, I want the filter. I tried so hard to look it up. I couldn't find it. But I read this study one time from, again, someone who's smarter than me. But she she did this study about how, and, and it's, it, it sounds like common sense when you hear it. It did to me at least. She did this study um, of people in their their 20s that are dealing with addiction and real serious life issues. And she did this study with, I don't remember how many people, but she began to ask them, what was your first exposure to it? What was the first thing you were told about drugs? Uh, Whatever it is, what was the first thing and what was your exposure to that topic? And she found out after doing this whole study that the filter through which I process everything the filter is my first exposure to it. The first time I was exposed to alcohol, all these different things, that now now becomes the foundation from which I think about everything moving forward until it is intentionally addressed. Obviously, that stuff can all be changed. I'm living evidence and other people in the room of recovery, right? But the first time I get exposed to something, I don't know that I don't know. And unknowingly that now just becomes the filter through which I see everything. Oh, okay. So there's a bunch of 15 year old kids here getting smashed. Everyone's just sitting around drinking vodka. That, that should be, I guess that's normal. I guess I'm just going to drink vodka. That's the filter now through which I process social drinking, right? And that's how it worked for me. That would just became my filter. And now all of a sudden, anyone trying to talk to me, I just... Uh, I, I didn't have healthy responses. I was, not, I was not a healthy kid in any way, shape, or form. There was plenty of help coming my way. Uh, My parents tried uh, there was there was I'll take full responsibility. Um, But I I I wanted to do everything in my power to keep people away from what was really going on inside of me, because if anybody could if anybody really knew what was going on inside of me, they would institutionalize me. Pretty sure of that. And they did one time for a weekend. They put me in the psych ward at the hospital as I was in the hospital. Now I have to tell the story. I'll tell it quickly. I was like uh, in my early twenties. My sister was having, you know, this. This is the continuation of it. Now I'm into my early twenties. Okay. I'm. And my mom comes to pick me up because my sister's having my first nephew. She comes to pick me up to take me. And um, it was obvious quickly. It was apparent that uh, I was not in a mental state to be in a at the hospital with my nephew being born. She took me anyways and uh, we get to the hospital and she immediately starts, it's foggy to me, but I still remember most of it. She immediately tells the security guards the people at the hospital, like, hey, you gotta, can you talk to my son? Uh, I didn't respond well at all. Um, I started threatening the security guards. They locked me in a room and that was on Friday night And so they stuck me in the psych ward all weekend because the doctors don't come in till Monday morning to evaluate you. I spent, (laughs) so I spent, I spent Friday night all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday and Monday morning. He came in and said, yeah, okay, you're, you're good. You're good to go. And let me go a little bit of an eye-opening experience, spending a weekend in the psych ward (laughs) to say the least. Didn't change anything. I went home and cracked a beer. First thing I, when I walked back in the door of my apartment was the first thing I did. Had to get that memory out of my mind right again because that was the filter to my reality that was my coping skill something internally is way off I don't like the memories of that I don't like that I don't like that Whew! I got a more is gonna do the trick it worked initially more should do, be even better right now you heard the end of that story okay um, now I'm ten years into recovery obviously and are you guys, are you guys good? Are you tracking with me? Okay. good. <laughs> I start telling serious stories and I'm like, man, I should tell a joke or something. I don't know any jokes though. So I can't tell a joke. Not one that would be funny at least. I, I, I now have the privilege of, of spending time going into other communities. Like we go into, uh, we'll be going into West Virginia, uh, Surrounding communities around here, um, I've done stuff in Mexico, uh, California, obviously, Utah, different places. Going into communities to, because rural rural America is uh, dying, is that the right word? Is that too extreme of a word? Rural America is uh, struggling. There's a better word, struggling. And so much of what i've seen is that there's uh, people with amazing hearts people that are making a big impact people that are helping a lot of people but there's also a lot of people who they feel like they have no idea what to do so they just don't do anything I, i don't i don't know how to fix this this thing's way over my head how can i make an impact what can i do so they just do nothing because they don't know what to do or how to do it right i've and i I learned from um, having just the heart because I've experienced what, uh, what real hell is like. I know exactly what it's like. I know exactly what it's like at the age of 15 to be so drunk that I'm sitting there with a loaded rifle in my mouth thinking it's a good idea to pull the trigger. I know exactly what, and I was at 15. There's 11 more years of that. I know exactly what that's like. And then having been set free, I mean real freedom completely free I understand as you know just from listening to uh, some of the the questions that were asked to the our last presenter um, and this being rural Ohio this is a strong faith-based area I get that Um, but I, I don't I don't wake up every day hoping I don't drink or do drugs it's gone it's completely gone. And it's been gone for a long time. And it's not coming back. But having been set free. And then seeing people. You know I've had the privilege now of working with. You know parents that have me work with their kids. I work with teenagers. I have uh, you know people who are twice my age. Well not quite. I'm 37 now. But much older than me. I live in France and Spain. Like all these other places. And I, I've I've realized that. There is. We, we, we have our convictions, OK, about our religious beliefs, about our uh, um, education, the educational system we went through, wh- whatever it is. We have our convictions. All right. Which I'm 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 all for them. I have my convictions. OK, but my highest value is on results. If what I'm doing isn't producing the results I know are available, why would I keep doing it that way? why would i keep doing it a certain way if i know it's not producing the results that i know are available and i realized something going in these communities I'm, I'm i'm staying in the prevention vein just track with me for a second i realized something going into these different communities mexico utah now ohio working with kids working with adults working with the, we a lot of people they just come up with this approach or this this is the traditional way to do things or fill in the blank and they try the one size fits all to everything. Well, this is just the way that you talk to people about this is the topic. And my, my question would be, would be this, how is it that you would talk to a kid like me at 14 who, good home, yeah, sure, so I had my issues. What teenager isn't going through their own growth and stuff, like what, what teenager's not, right? As opposed to somebody who, because I hear these stories all the time and don't pretend like it's not in your neighborhood. it is I will guarantee it I'll guarantee it how would you take the exact same approach to somebody who is 13 who has been molested abused and their parents are the ones that gave them alcohol at age six how do you take the exact same approach you can't you can't just have a this is the way I'm gonna do it and if I do it this way and they don't respond well they're just difficult they're just problematic it's just they're against the message they're filling the blank right and i learned this going into all these different environments because my highest i I want results period that's what i want i want i I want the results that i know are available to play out in the environment i go into and i can't go into that environment with the exact same approach every single time it doesn't mean that i have to change my convictions either i got to change the way i deliver it though I got to change the way I'm talking to the person, why I'm talking to them, how I'm talking to them. I got to be able to assess what's going on in their life and walk them into a place of of relationship and a place of them trusting me and a place of. And and if I can't, if I can't do it at home, then what makes me think I can do it somewhere else? If I can't and. I, li- I, I, I live this way. There's some of you that know me personally. I, I live this way at the gas station. I stop and talk to people at the gas station. I live like this. I'm not kidding. I live like this at home. I live like this when I'm speaking. I, li- I live this way every day. There's way too much at stake for us to just play games with this thing. If you count alcohol which i would say is a drug and the opioid epidemic and then all the other drugs out there it's safe to say there's a quarter million people a year dying from drugs in this country that's a lot of people and we and and ohio knows it best ohio knows it more than anywhere right here because of the devastation that's hit here west virginia now's the time when i really need a joke huh (laughs) ohio knows it more than anything okay and I emphasize all of that to say this. I talk to so many people, and it's the same thing. And they they don't they they have this. I was talking to someone right in between the mess in the break that we just had about it. They they they're like I want to do something. I I don't know what to do. I have this message. Maybe they haven't even struggled with addiction. They just want to help the parents, or they want to help parents reach their kids who are struggling with whatever. Or they they just have this. And what I tell people is. You just, you you have, if if you're waiting for permission, you have it. If you're waiting for opportunity to come and knock on your door, you're probably not going to get it. There are people around you everywhere all day. There are kids around you every single day who have so much turmoil going on inside of them that if they could just get someone they could connect to and really talk with about real life, real life, real stuff that's going on, it's going to ease that tension and then all of a sudden if they do take a drink it doesn't all of a sudden become the solution anymore because some of that tension was already eased before they even got to the point of taking the drink Mm -hmm. are you guys tracking with me i have my own let me i got 10 more minutes Yeah. okay i I got five minutes and then we're gonna do some question and (laughs) answers i heard a guy i really love listening to the He's the author of the book The Shack, and if you want to hear a crazy story, YouTube William Paul Young, the author of The Shack. Listen to his story. Mm-hmm. Listen to what he went through, and where he's living now is, it's unbelievable. But I love listening to him speak because he's very, very real. He's very, very real, and he said one time at the end, "I'm going to do some question and answer." Or, or, no, he said he said at the end, "I'm going to do some some Q and R." He said the r stands for responses because i'm canadian i don't pretend like i have all the answers (laughs) i'm gonna do i'll do some question and responses i'm not afraid of hard questions Um, i'm not anticipating them but if you ask a hard question don't be afraid of a hard answer so anyways i uh i worked i worked uh, with multiple different treatment kind of stuff and i worked for nine months at an inpatient treatment center and I'm just gonna tell one quick story from there to continue to drive this point home because here's the thing, the lot of you guys are already really good at what you do. I don't need to sit and tell you how to do your job. I, I really don't. You guys are making an awesome impact. I'm just a little piece to the puzzle, like we all are, okay, we all are making an impact. But I just think that there's a way to assess my approach and the way that I'm doing things because if it's not producing the results that are available, why would I keep doing it the same way? Right? So I was working in this treatment center and um, it it got to the point. um, Some of you may think this is me boasting, but I'm going to just be real about the story. It got to the point of this treatment center where some of the clinical directors and therapists and people would actually call me to come work with their people because they couldn't get through to them. Well, I don't have a wall full of accolades hanging up, but I know how to get to someone's heart. I know how to do that. So they would call me into therapy sessions. They would send their their guys to me and they're doing awesome work too. I'm just adding to the work being done. Okay. But there was a situation one day and this guy is three days in, maybe whatever. And he's freaking out because he had a physical injury and he's also detoxing and they're not giving him his drugs. They're not giving him what he wants. And he's freaking out on the doctor who's a female. And so they called uh, one of the staff down and myself um, and we went down there. And he's freaking out. He's freaking out. And I could use other words, but I won't. Use your imagination. So I'm sitting, um, I'm just sitting in the room listening to him, right? And clearly, if he would have crossed the boundary, there would have been some intervening in another way, okay? That didn't happen, but verbally, he was uh, attacking. He calmed down, um, stepped him to the side and began to chat. And he just is accusing me. And Inten- I just showed I have nothing to do with it. Right. He is throwing at me the pain that he hasn't dealt with internally. It's got nothing to do with me. Nothing at all. And how many times have we been in a situation, I've done it, you know, I have clients and people ask me certain questions these days, like, how is it you're so good with people? How how is it you came to that understanding that you do an approach with people? I'll tell you how, okay? I did it wrong so many times. (laughs) That's how I know. And my biggest value is on results. And so if I'm doing it away and it's not working, I'm gonna change it, period. So he's saying stuff to me and saying stuff to someone else, and he's really saying it. And I just sat there, and I was like, okay, all right. Now, take the story I'm telling and paint the picture of being with a 13-year-old. Can 13-year-olds freak out sometimes? (laughs) Okay, apply the the principle to prevention is the point I'm making, okay? You're talking to the 10-year-old, the... The, the three-year-old who thinks it's okay because his brother took his toy to chuck a metal truck at his head, right? <laughs> Apply it to prevention situation. I'm talking to him. I'm everything you can imagine. And I just sat there and I was like, okay. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, well, I've been called worse. So nice try. And I'm just quiet though. He's getting it all out. He's getting it out and he's getting it out because he's used to getting a drug to st- calm that inner chaos. But now he can't have it. So now he's got to find a way to deal with it where he doesn't have what he's been doing for so long. Right. He calms down. And finally, I just I started talking to him and I was like, so what's up, man? You know, how how you doing? I just oftentimes. That that stress that's coming out, that anger that's coming out, that whatever you want to know what it is it's a cry for help. That's what it is. It's a desperate cry for help saying, I'm dying. Can you help me? I'm dying. It just sounds like F you. That's what it sounds like. Translated, I'm dying and nobody will really sit down and help me. Can you please help me? You got to decode that (laughs) and you got to be able to get past your own feelings to understand that's them drowning in the water and I'm standing on a boat and they're saying, Please toss me the life preserver. Please. I'm dying here. I sat down, chatted with him, calm. Okay, all right, sure, okay. I said, Hey, let's go back to your room and chat, man. Um, and he's like, Well da da now he's he's calm enough. He sees he's not getting a rise out of me. So we go we, we go to his to his room and we're chatting and then all of a sudden everything changes. And he just began telling me, Look, man, you don't even realize I've been I've been doing drugs since I was twelve and I this and I'm I'm in so much pain and I'm you don't even realize like I, I don't know how to do life. I don't even know how to da da, da da da. What they want initially is these are their these are their weapons, okay? A fourteen year old who maybe has just barely started drinking or hasn't, okay? They're trying to keep you at bay because what's going on inside, they, they it's chaotic, it's static. OK, they're trying to keep you a ab- And it's their it's their mechanisms to keep people away from the pain. Right now, you establish the relationship. Talk, connect, show them you really care. All of a sudden, the conversation changed in a heartbeat. And he's sitting there and he's like, you don't even know I'm dying. I, this has been my reality since I, I was raised in a good home. I haven't been able to get out of this. This is my whatever treatment center, fill in the blank. Da da da, 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 da. And I said, hey, look, man, how about this? I said, how about, how, about you, um, how about we just sit down and you let me pray with you? And he just immediately, like, can't even control it. He's like, you have no idea, it was the only two years of my life where I w- was able to stop doing drugs is when I was praying and going to church. It's the only two years. The rest of it has been nothing but chaos. So I sat down, prayed with him, and instantaneously, everything shifted in his reality. But it took, again, by the principle of the prevention. It took letting them know I care about you I love you I understand you're tossing everything in the world every name in the world at me okay it's got nothing to do with me it's you but I I can help you all right establish the trust now all of a sudden in private conversation the entire thing shifts into him literally saying you got to help me I'm dying sit down pray his entire world transformed, found me the next day right when I walked into work and said, came up with a smile. Do I know if everything in his world is perfect right now? No, but could you imagine if a group of people committed to living that way and somebody just went about their day on a regular basis and got sabotaged with people that were acting like that towards them all day long? At the gas station, the grocery store, a phone call, family dinner, probably that in reverse to start. Could you imagine people who just said, I care. I care and I'll listen and I'll be here for you and I'll help you. And for sake of time, I'll just end with this one thing. Okay, I I watched this documentary recently about something similar community that was dying. Uh, It's up in Michigan, the most northern point of Michigan. It's a city of 13,000 people and they average 30 or 40 overdoses a month. (coughs) 13,000 people. Okay. There was a point where, a few years back, before it got to like the severity where it's at now, where kids just walked around the city with spray paint, spray painting on everything. I'm bored. That was it. They were just spray painting. Everyone bored, trying to send a message like, "Hey, help! Help! Can you do, can can you help us with something? Can we do something?" And so, I end with that just to say this. Listen, we. We have the ability to transform our communities. We have the ability to impact a younger generation before they get to this point. Is treating every kid exactly the way that I'm describing gonna guarantee that they don't step into underage drinking? No, it's not, but I'll guarantee you it will significantly drop the percentages. It will, it will because the stuff that goes on, I love this right here. Children of parents who talk to their teens about drugs alcohol are 50% like less likely to use 50% that's crazy 50% so thanks for joining us friends on the fastest growing recovery podcast out we consider it a great privilege to be able to share this free resource with you that encourages and empowers you to live into a healthy and sustainable recovery. You guys can help us by sharing this on your social media platforms and with friends who you think could benefit from this. And if you wanna go a step further and help us get the word out even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a short review on the Apple podcast page about how this podcast has helped you live into a healthier and more powerful recovery in your own personal life. Thank you guys. Connect again soon.